Hello, I'm Nick Cater, Executive Director of the Menzies Research Centre and a columnist with The Australian. Emancipation Day will be a cautious affair. From October the 11th, fully vaccinated adults will be allowed to hang around in bars in New South Wales, but won't be allowed to dance or sing. For, as the 19th century theologian François-Xavier Choupé reminds us, even modest dances are rarely without danger. Nevertheless, this small step for New South Wales is a giant leap for Australia. Every state will follow sooner or later because if coronavirus cannot be eliminated, there is no other choice, even for WA. Elimination was never much more than a crazy dream, even before the arrival of the mutant Delta variant, an adaptation that might have been designed to infect the fully vaccinated. It can't be easy being Mark McGowan, the Premier who has overpromised more than most, insisting until a matter of weeks ago that he could stop COVID-19 at the borders so that Western Australians could continue to roam free within their 2.6 million square kilometre bubble, isolated from the rest of the world. McGowan's Health Minister, Roger Cook, told the Australian's Paul Garvey late last week that lifting border restrictions would be a protracted process that won't even start until vaccination rates in WA reach between 80 and 90%. New South Wales and Victoria are graded as extreme risk jurisdictions. As of Friday, WA was the least fully vaccinated jurisdiction in Australia, trailing narrowly behind Queensland at 51.3%. Freedom hesitancy is not hard to find, even in New South Wales, where there were unlikely to be exuberant celebrations on Emancipation Day even if dancing had been allowed. The effects of the 18-month scare campaign will take some time to wear off, particularly given the near inevitability of a spike in infections. Until the arrival of vaccines, governments around the world relied on behavioural psychology to coerce citizens to comply with the most extreme quarantine rules imposed for over a century. The public were fed a non-stop diet of bad news devoid of context, New cases have been highlighted, rather than deaths, hospitalisations and recoveries, which would have painted a very different picture of the level of the threat. It would no doubt be news to most people that 88% of those who've died of COVID-19 or required acute hospital care suffered from at least one other serious condition, and that by far the best predictor of life-threatening infection is obesity. The population-wide strategy pursued in most countries would not have been helped by highlighting these and many other facts that governments, to varying degrees, have suppressed. Early in the pandemic, the British government sought advice from behavioural psychologists. Ministers were advised to increase the perceived level of personal threat from COVID-19 because a substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. Members of the Scientific Pandemic Influencer Group on Behaviour have since expressed shame for their part in generating fear, with the belated recognition that mind manipulation cannot be countenanced in a liberal democracy. The use of fear has definitely been ethically questionable, one psychologist told Laura Dodsworth when she was researching her recent book, A State of Fear. It's been like a weird experiment. Ultimately, it backfired because people became too scared. The elevated level of fear in Australia, even now, is exacerbated by the existence of crisis cabinets and the retention of emergency powers. For most people, the unprecedented use of force by Victorian police is not a sign that freedom is being eroded, but a reminder of how bad the virus must be. 
Dominic Perrottet's serendipitous elevation as New South Wales Premier has given a chance for Australia's most populous state to pivot faster than most. Perrottet announced last week that his government would move out of crisis mode and get back to governing normally. And about time too. The extraordinary powers given to Chief Health Officers since the start of last year have eroded the authority of Parliament, diminished the standing of our state political leaders and devalued democracy. It has delivered the kind of policy blunders that become inevitable when too much power is placed in the hands of a few. We have seen the kind of tin-eared insensitivity to human feelings that results from empowering bureaucrats who are paid to follow the rulebook. Perrottet's decision provoked a backlash from the freedom-hesitant elite who have been calling the shots for far too long. Journalists were naturally furious at losing their right to ask fatuous and impertinent questions for an hour a day. One accused the Premier of disrespecting his chief health officer. Perrottet replied with the words for which we have long been waiting. As the new Premier, we're the elected officials. Australian Medical Association President Omar Khurshid said the association was very concerned by the shift in approach to the pandemic. The New South Wales government's crisis cabinet has morphed into an economic recovery committee, said Khurshid, in a tone that implied he thought that was a bad thing. Perrottet can expect more of this stuff from the risk-averse, finger-wagging laptop class who cannot yet see the writing on the wall. He will be helped by the roadmap established by his predecessor, which includes a sunset clause for discriminating against the unvaccinated outside the workplace. By December, the place will be pretty much back to normal. Perrottet can expect encouragement from a Prime Minister driven by the imperative to reopen the economy and reopen international borders. Scott Morrison is moving fast to wind back border restrictions and, in the short term at least, he can rely on the price-gouging airlines to keep numbers down. Perrottet may even find an unlikely ally in the Premier of Victoria. Daniel Andrews has been winding back his rhetoric as far as his arrogance will allow, and Victoria appears to be on track for a fully vaccinated rate of 80% by Melbourne Cup Day. In Victoria, at least, it's shaping up to be the race that stops the lockdown. Yet Perrottet is unlikely to receive a warm welcome at National Cabinet from McGowan, or Queensland's Anastasia Palaszczuk, who remain hostage to the climate of fear they have created. Neither has shown any sign of the political adroitness required to change tack, nor the courage required to admit to their respective states that the strategy they pursued up to now has inevitably failed. The reckoning is coming, whether they are ready or not. I'm Nick Cater for the Menzies Research Centre.